Welcome back to the Injury Prone Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Evan Porter, Dr. Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst at FantasyPoints.com. But right now, we're not dealing with fantasy football. We're dealing with reality. Reality, Dr. Azita Nijadekhan. She is a physical therapist. I don't even know what to call you, to be honest. Either physical therapist, strength coach, hybrid. I don't know if you like being called a hybrid because that makes me feel like I'm calling you a vehicle of some sort. I don't really know how to say it, but she is She is a, a we'll just call her performance specialist. Uh, she is on Twitter. She says she doesn't even know her own Twitter. Uh, her Twitter is AZ. I don't even know how to say, can you say, oh, it's your name, duh. It's Azita Nej. There you go. Dr. Azita Nejadehan. How are you doing tonight? Thank you for joining me. I'd like you to tell me if you like being called a hybrid or if that makes you feel like I'm talking about a Ford F-150 or something. (laughs) Well, a few things. First of all, uh, thank you for having me. Second of all, you nailed the name and nailed the intro. That I couldn't even keep up with you at the beginning. (laughs) So that's awesome. (laughs) As far as the hybrid thing goes, you know, it's funny. We'll probably get into it, but rehab, strength and conditioning all kind of exist on the same continuum of performance. So I don't even, I'm with you. What do you call me? I think it's funny because my name, my role here is performance specialist and you know what, from now on in life, I think I'm just going to roll with that. I'm a performance specialist wherever I go. That's perfect. And it's not, I mean, it's not wrong, right? I mean, you're a performance specialist. And so you can definitely put that like buying plane tickets when you're applying (laughs) to conferences, when you're making, I don't know, you could use that for literally like, and it's so broad too. If you put that on like any resume, or if you put that on any, I don't even like document, like performance specialist, that could mean like a hundred different things. And people will be like, Oh man, I really, I got to get out of the way. Like she's a performance specialist. So I really have to, I really have to watch, watch what I'm doing here. So performance specialist is really nice. I think you mentioned something right off the bat, but there's so many different topics I want to get in, get into with you. You are, I don't want to say unique because you're not the only individual in high level sport with your specific background. And by that, I mean, a person of color, a female, Right. Somebody who took a bit of a non-traditional path and we can get a, a little bit into that. You just have, you wear so many different hats and I feel like you're so unique. I mean, you are like, I don't want to use the word, but you're unique in the sense of, I feel like you wear so many hats and you come from a diverse background and you probably have a very diverse or, or different experience than a lot of different people in the performance world. And right. you probably are, you have your own set of a unique way of looking at performance and what that looks like. So it's a very broad question, but I really do want to get into more specifics about like, what is your background? If you don't mind talking about like even growing up, like what is yeah. your parents' background? How did yeah. you get to where you, where you are here? And like, I really, I think anybody can ask how, you know, how did you get into physical therapy? Well, you know, I'm a washed up athlete and I kind of wanted to get into PT. Like that's like, what there you go. Of us. <laughs> but I want to get, I want to get into your why. I want yeah. to get into what drove you here. What was the decision like? How did it, how did it come to be? I like to say that I personally, honestly, dumb luck fell into a profession that I love. And then right. dumb luck fell into the performance space that I, that I love even more. But right. I want to know what, what's your why, what, what drove you then? And maybe what drives you now? And what do you see motivating you in the future? Oh my gosh, we got a lot to tackle here then. So I will uh, I'll start with kind of the background that you asked for. Um, I feel like I'm going to go back to my birth here almost, but you asked for it. the real background and my parents. So uh, my parents both immigrated over from Iran during the Iranian revolution back in the 1980s. Um, so they immigrated over here. I was actually born in Iran as well. Didn't live there long. It's not one of those stories. I lived there until I was about one years old and then uh, moved over to the States. But it definitely gives some different perspective when your parents, um, you know, to be blunt, escaped a revolution and some really scary stuff happening in a country and came over to America and 
raised you on some morals and ideals that pretty much shape who I am today. Um, so the, a lot of the desire to work in healthcare came from my dad. My dad was a pharmacist and all of my life growing up, I just watched him wake up at 9 p.m. at night, go to work because he worked overnight shifts. And um, that's kind of where I learned that I, I wanted to help people. It was something instilled in me early on. And kind of like you, I think from there, just dumb luck, it turned into performance. I originally not gonna I'm not gonna lie I wanted to be a physician and then I realized I wasn't smart enough after orgo two so I was like all right we're not okay, gonna okay. time out time out time out smart enough I wouldn't <laughs> say so or use organic chemistry right that's what you're talking oh, about oh yeah that was not happening okay. that was not my, happening. my wife who's a pharmacist and I don't want to throw her oh, under wow. the bus because she is one of the most inspiring intelligent people like I, she she's literally my better half I, wow. I love her to death she's one of the smartest individuals I've ever met past organic chemistry because the pre-med and the pre-pharmacy track are essentially the same she did she took I think it was that same like ochem or or one of those like I don't even know biochem she got like a 50 percent on the final <laughs> gotta be in the class so don't yep. let those pre-med pre-farms fool you they're <laughs> passing those classes but they're passing with like 40s and 50s so don't throw yourself under the bus like that I'm gonna let you continue I'm sorry oh I remember chem chem and orgo one I survived just exactly how it sounds like she did i I got 60s and 50s on the exams, but somehow walked out with passing grades in the class. I was like, this doesn't make sense, but I'll take it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm sorry, continue. No, no, no problem. So I would say that's how it pretty much started for me. And then, um, you know, the typical, like you said, washed up athlete fell into physical therapy. Uh, I think where my story changes is probably actually during COVID is when I encountered a change along my route. So during that time, I was in physical therapy school in my second year. COVID hits and kind of obviously derails everything and um, clinicals get placed on hold. So at that point I had gone to one NSCA conference that year pre-COVID and just fallen in love with it. I had started talking to strength coaches on the phone. I was having like one or two phone calls a week and just taking notes and trying to learn from them. But really my goal was to figure out what it was that I felt like was missing in order to help me graduate physical therapy school and effectively treat athletes, right? Because so, we all know you don't get everything you need in school that's going to allow you to treat high-level athletes. So I was kind of on a search for what's that missing piece. And to me, I realized it was strength and conditioning. So I was just out there talking to coaches. And then once COVID hit, one thing led to another. And then I end up um, with an internship with Maryland football strength and conditioning. And I was there solely as that, a strength and conditioning intern completely unrelated to physical therapy my goal was to be able to understand strength and conditioning principles in order to apply them to physical therapy originally that was my goal now I end up staying so long because I fell in love with it couldn't couldn't leave I graduate physical therapy school and I still stay at Maryland because I'm just having so much fun I'm learning more than I ever thought I would learn and you know end up staying for like I think it was eight months and originally it was slated to be probably three or four months Eventually they were like, Azita, you graduated with the whole doctorate thing, go start working now. So I'm like, all right. So I go and start working in a outpatient sports, definitely a sports setting, physical therapy clinic. And I have, I learned a lot there. I mean, everybody learns a lot in their first job. Everything is trial and error. You're extremely humbled. You come out of school thinking, you know, a lot, and then you have to deal with real people, real patients without a clinical instructor and everything's different. Right. I, I could feel something was missing because after being with Maryland football, you get the sense of camaraderie and that team, that locker room feeling. It's just, it's a lot different. It's a lot different than being in a clinic. And obviously that's apparent from the outside to anyone who hasn't been in sports, but if you've been in sports and you've been a part of something 
bigger than yourself, you know, you know that feeling and there's nothing like being a part of a team. So um, eventually I ended up going down to Louisiana Tech working with their football team under coach Kurt Hester. So I was actually hired as an assistant sports performance coach on the uh, strength and conditioning side of things. But they also wanted me to, he wanted me to come down there to help with the rehab side of things. Um, you know, everyone knows that staffs tend to, especially athletic training staffs tend to be understaffed and overworked. So they were very open to somebody who had my skill set. And to be, I mean, to be honest, we all know that's not welcomed everywhere. Some places are still dominated by solely athletic trainers. Not that there's any issue with that, but a lot of college teams don't have physical therapists yet. So it was really cool for me to get that opportunity. And the uh, head athletic trainer there, and obviously coach Kurt Hester himself are still two people that I stay in a lot of contact with. And um, so that was an awesome opportunity for me because it was the first time I get to, I got to try to blend those two together. And when you're practicing physical therapy, you are incorporating strength and conditioning principles every day. But I think the vice versa, the other side of it is actually a, a little cooler in my opinion, because we might be in the middle of a team lift and, you know, I might notice something from a, from my PT hat and go make a change as opposed to my strength hat. And there are differences, you know, we learn things in physical therapy school that we have a different skill set. So it was really cool to get to bring that to the weight room and ask any strength coach. It's always hard to uh, integrate all the injured guys into team lifts. So for me, it was actually pretty easy um, not to toot my own horn, but obviously that's our skill set. It's very easy to make those changes to the lift on the fly and um, respond to any, any sort of issues somebody might have during the lift. So like I said, that was a great opportunity for me. And then um, after that, ended up here with the Cardinals working as a performance rehab specialist. Now, you make it sound seamless and you make it sound effortless. <laughs> However, you started the whole story in Saga with my parents are Iranian exiles. Yeah. Now, that's not a detail to ignore, right? I mean, that's not, yeah. I don't necessarily need to belabor the point, but I get the sense from when you talk that you are a glass half full and I'm going to fill it to the top. I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to make the best of this situation. I'm going to be absolutely relentless. I'm not right. going to let up on this goal and this dream that I have, but that, that should have came or it, it probably came with some obstacles, obviously COVID being one of them. Right. Can you talk about maybe some obstacles that may have been unique to your own specific path? And, you know, cause you did everybody, every single person that's any position that they covet, it's highly coveted, does have a little bit of luck, but you have to put yourself into those positions to get lucky and you have to right. put in the work and the, and the effort on the front, to, on the front side. But I was, I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit more about maybe some of the, the struggles you encountered and how you dealt with them, how you dealt with maybe some feelings of doubt, if that ever came up. Or, you know, oh, yeah. just maybe not even have any, any idea where you're going to take things next. Like, what was that like? What are some struggles that you came across? Oh, man, this, this is going to open up a can of worms, because unfortunately, there is a good amount not to make it sound like a sob story. But I don't, you said it at the beginning, being a woman of color, you're not you're not exactly the stereotype that you see in football, right, which was uh, where I've spent the most time or baseball either you know there's not there's not a lot of people that look like me walking around for me to turn to and ask questions of well how'd you get here well, what was your path like there's a few of them but that's that's the issue there's only a few of them I can count on one hand in the NFL and every time a woman makes you know a certain position in the NFL or MLB it's news it's headlines because there's that little amount of people that look like us getting those positions can um, you sorry. talk about I'm sorry yeah. I'm gonna interrupt you because I want to ask no, no. you can you talk about why that's important why is that relevant why do you bring that up 
and and I just just for the listeners maybe that don't quite understand like what is your perspective from that like why does that matter right because there might be people listening saying I get it like I totally get it there might be people listening saying well why does that matter if you want to you know you ended up where you wanted to be anyway like what does it mean to you to have somebody that you can maybe turn to look to admire look up to or even just have discussions and have you know a relationship with that's doing the same thing that you're doing like why does that matter to you I mean it's it's everything it's you're a kid growing up, you have a role model who's doing what you want to do. And, you know, let's say you want to be an athlete, you can look in whatever league it is that you wanted to get to. And there's somebody that looks like you, there's probably a lot of people that look like you, whether you're, you know, like a white male, whether you're, it doesn't matter, but you can find somebody who looks like you. And that person is the person you look, look up to, and you're striving to get to that same end goal. That's, that's the end of the road for you. That's your goal. Now, what if there is no person that looks like you? Who do you turn to look to? It's, it's hard to look as a woman of color. It's hard for me to look at a white male who's in the role I want to one day be in and say, yeah, that's, that's going to be an easy road for me to get there. They, they hired five people that look like that. So I'm probably the next one in line. I'm not. I know that for a fact I'm not. There's a certain look that people are looking for. There's a certain background people are looking for and from what I found it's it's not we're not at a point yet to be honest we're not at a point yet where people are looking for diversity and I when I say diversity I don't mean gender I don't mean color I mean diversity and experience you know like you brought up my background and where my parents came from and diversity and experience I think is important diversity and skill set I think is important so for me for example to get back to your question who can I look to in the NFL that does physical therapy and strength and conditioning and looks like me. So if I ask somebody else who wants to be a strength coach in the NFL, hey, can you find somebody in the NFL that looks like you and has the job you want? They can probably find a minimum of what, 20 to 30 coaches that look like them, maybe have the same background as them, for example, played football or their dad played in the NFL. Now, if you ask me that same question, who can you turn to that has that same background in education, skill set, and sure, gender and color as well, I can find one person. So that is, you know, not to sound super pessimistic about it, but that makes it a little more, like you said, you have to be relentless. You have no, to it's be not, re- it's not, it's not pessimistic. It's, it's yeah. reality. Right. Because right. I think from a big picture perspective, these unconscious biases, and I think people will take things, not quite interpret them correctly. I think when people think of an unconscious bias, their immediate reaction or reflex is to get defensive. You know, right. everybody has our biases. I have them too. Yeah. Everybody has their biases. The problem is when we have unconscious biases from a systemic root, of course, you're going to hire people with similar experiences to you. You're going to talk to people with similar experiences. You're going to make connections with people who have similar experiences to it. It doesn't mean that you're never reaching out for a different opinion or a different experience. It just means that you're in your comfort zone of reaching out with people who are similar. And so if you're getting in a room with a bunch of people who are similarly minded, what does that say for your chances or my chances to get to a place where the people there simply don't look like us, don't come from a background like us. It doesn't mean that they don't have struggles and they don't, they themselves have challenges to overcome. It simply means they don't have the same set of challenges that somebody like you has, right? So I just wanted to highlight that point. I think that's, that's, super important to talk about. No, I appreciate it. I think the takeaway is it's a corny one, but it's something that a lot of women that are looking to get into football or are in football say it's see her, be her. So I think that's the big one for me. And especially with where I want to go in my life, that's it. See her, be her. And that's what it means to answer your question. You 
you see somebody and you want to go on that same path that they've gone on because they've already forged that path for you. I no longer have to be the first person to do X, Y, Z. Somebody's already gone down that path for me. So that's what it means to have somebody who looks like you in a role similar to yours or what you want to do in your life. How do you feel those specific experiences that you're mentioning, the different background, the diversity, the, the struggles, the unique set of challenges you've faced, how do you feel that that led you exactly to where you are now? What did those struggles, how did they motivate? Going back to what I said, the my dad was a big part in it because I know for I know his story of how he got here and what he had to go through. So he immigrated to the country with not speaking any English and he had $500 in his pocket, moved to a country where he knew nobody. And so I know he's been through that. He, he worked overnight shifts while putting himself through pharmacy school. So I have that background of knowing he could do that. So there's really nothing that's going to slow me down because I've, I know my dad's been through 20 times harder things than I've ever been through in my life. So, you know, anytime things get hard, that's kind of what I'm thinking about in the back of my head. And I remember at Maryland, um, you know, I was always running around as an intern and I mean, literally running around. (laughs) I was just, for some reason, I never walked anywhere. If somebody asked me to do something, I was always at a light jog for some reason. And one of the coaches- (laughs) I actually um, love that picture. I don't know why. I don't know why. I I see you like at the cafeteria, like standing in place, jogging, just for no, (laughs) just eating your breakfast. I don't know. Anyway. Pretty much, pretty much. But we had morning devotions every morning uh, before lifts. And, you know, one of the times that it was my first time to go, um, the head strength coach had invited me to share whatever I wanted. And it's funny, I actually shared the story about my dad and somebody at one point asked me, you know, Zita, why, why do you run everywhere? And it was the corniest answer, but I immediately responded because my dad hustled, my dad hustled. So of course I'm going to run, you know, like I gotta, I gotta keep up with what he did. I have to prove to him and my family that we moved to this country for a reason. Originally, a big thing I think for Middle Easterners is you have to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a dentist, something of the sort. So originally when I switched from being a, wanting to be a physician to a physical therapist, I'm not going to lie, there was a little, uh, there was a little friction in my family from that. I kind of had had to explain, like you asked my why, why do I want to do that? Well, I want to help people, but not to knock on physicians, but I want to spend more than five minutes. My goal is to spend quality time with someone and help them get back to where they want to be in life. So um, to go back to your question, that's really, that's really what I come back to. Anytime I'm going through any of these struggles, I'm thinking about my dad and my mom and what they've been through and how I live in this country because they brought me and my brother over here for a better life. And I can definitely get through anything that I need to based off of what they've been through in their lives. That's such a unique way to look at things. I, it's definitely it's, super it's, dramatic. <laughs> it's not. No, and that's it's not dramatic. You thinking about on a deeper level, I need to hustle as hard as I possibly can. And that manifests itself as I'm always jogging somewhere. Like, I think there's something legitimately beautiful about that. And I know that sounds corny. And you, like you said that you said some corny thing. I don't think anything you've said is corny at all. It's not talked about often in circles like this, uh, right. the experiences that we draw from, right? I have a very similar experience, but this show isn't about me, but I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. And I yeah. legitimately can relate to the hustle that you feel like you need to put in and the grind that you feel like you need to put in every day. It's not right. to show adequacy, but it's almost to show gratitude that you right. are where you're at. And no, I think that's, I think that's awesome. Maybe shifting away a little bit more from like motivation to the more nuts and bolts. What did it look like to go from this PT student to a strength and conditioning intern mm-hmm. to a full-fledged physical therapist performance specialist, not an F-150 hybrid? 
but a performance specialist. <laughs> what were the nuts and bolts of that? Talk us through a little bit of how you got there and maybe for students that may be listening, any advice you have relative to your experience and what they might be able to take from that? Yeah, because I think this might be a, a topic where I differ a little bit as well because I don't have my SCS. Um, that's not the route I took. I didn't do a sports residency. So my route to get to something like this or even my position with Louisiana Tech was a lot different. Um, just to hit the nuts and bolts, like you said, more of the technical side of things. I got my CSCS, I think, in my last, the home stretch of PT school. Um, I was kind of studying for that after boards. I studied while I was with Maryland, took the CSCS, and then I also got my uh, certification from the CSCCA as well. So the SCCC, um, that's on the college strength and conditioning side of things. So that was that's a little more lengthy of a process. It's not just a test like the CSCS. It's something where you fly out to their national convention, you do a practical portion, you do a written portion at an exam center. So it's definitely intense. I think it was definitely worth it because I mean, that was a big part of my curriculum while I was at Maryland. And now I, you know, not that the letters are important, but now that's under my belt, but it kind of, I think sets me apart a little bit because like I said, the CSCS is a little easier, I would say to get. This one is, comes with 500 hours of time under a strength and conditioning coach. So Oh yeah, uh, that's, that's totally more, it's more rigorous. It's yeah. not, oh, it's yeah. not, it's just different. It's something that is, takes a lot more practical application. Oh yeah. The uh, practical portion is talking through three different lifts and a program you've wrote in front of a panel of master strength coaches. So that was a cardiac event waiting to happen. I can only imagine. <laughs> Did that. And then I think the biggest thing is just the internship itself, the strength internship. So I've talked to a few PT students now about one, for example, who didn't get a sports residency or any that she had applied for. Um, and my whole thing was, well, I didn't go that route and I still made it this, you know, made it to this level. So it's, I don't think there's any one way to become a quote sports physical therapist or performance specialist or hybrid or whatever you want to be. I don't think everyone has to go a certain route. So I, I kind of forged my own path by doing a lot of networking, doing that internship and getting the practical experience of strength and conditioning. Cause anybody who's coached on the floor knows that what's in the CSCS book is not reality. <laughs> getting that practical experience made me all the more confident to then, you know, when I did go on to that job and outpatient sports, physical therapy, I was extremely confident coaching a squat. I was probably more confident coaching a lift than I was with my hands-on skills, to be honest. That's my big thing is I've talked to a lot of PT students who want to, I guess, do something similar to what I'm doing or quote the hybrid role or let's just call it a performance role. My big thing is go get practical experience in strength and conditioning. Everyone always asks me, like, should I take the CSCS? I'm like, well, sure, but go coach on the floor, you know, like go volunteer at a weight room, go talk to strength coaches in your area where they're everywhere. So there's no shortage of finding a strength coach who's willing to help someone, especially I found that strength coaches are very interested in these PT students that are coming around asking questions. Um, I've now, I've tried to send as many PT students as I can to Maryland. It's been a few now, but I'm going to keep trying to put PT students in contact with strength coaches um, just to expand our skill set and help us be more effective physical therapists. So I would say that's my biggest thing is get out there and get practical experience in order to prepare you better for being uh, a sports physical therapist. Where would you say that you draw on your strength and conditioning principles or, or background when it comes to, let's say, dosing for a rotator cuff tendinopathy? Right. What does that look like? How do you dose? It doesn't even have to be sports specific. 
If you right. had a patient in front of you and you're like, all right, this rotator cuff needs some endurance. I know that they're almost pain-free, very close to pain-free. They need some overhead stability. They need some endurance. What does that look like? What does your exercise selection look like? And what does that dosing look like? So that instead of harping on physical therapists under dose, what, let's get some actual practical application from, from the hybrid who does this every day. I'm going to, I'm going to zoom out a little bit and actually say it's changed. It's changed the way I dose in that I now think about the quality I'm trying to elicit out of a tissue, or even, I would say even in like a total complex, let's say the shoulder itself. Cause I think in physical therapy school, it's a lot of, you know, I want to train low reps high endurance of these target tissues, whatever tissues it is you're trying to train. Now from strength and conditioning, I've learned that there's a lot of different qualities or, you know, adaptations we want to force or we want to enact in a certain area. So not only endurance, but strength. Strength is different from endurance. What about power output? What about different ends of the force velocity curve? So that's, I think, where my biggest change is. It's not, I was very cookie cutter before and how I dose, you know, this, well, this area can only be for endurance. And then these, these muscles or these movements are more strength. Now I'm thinking, okay, well, sure. This, the, the rotator cuff needs high endurance to be able to elicit that, that action over and over and over again. But what about the force output? What about how violent a pitch is? I think that's actually where I've changed um, the way I approach things in dosage is I'm, I might be training the same muscle group in three different ways throughout the week. So that's actually something I'd like to do is, you know, with a rotator cuff or with the shoulder, maybe on Monday, I'm using um, overcoming isometrics or, and then on Wednesday, I'm using yielding isometrics because those can elicit different qualities. But then on Friday and Saturday, maybe I'm just going straight strength and like you said, endurance. So I think you use different approaches to try to elicit different qualities out of a muscle or out of a group of muscles. And that's the biggest area I've changed in, I think. A little side note, isometrics are great, aren't they? I, I love them. I think they are so, so underutilized, especially the different kinds of isometrics. I mean, it's not even... Another thing we learn in PT school, like isometrics, okay, gently push into the wall. And then, then in strength and conditioning and credit to physical therapists, because now a lot of physical therapists I know on Twitter are talking about these different kinds of isometrics, but you know, we have overcoming, we have yielding, we, we have your, the isometrics that we do learn in PT school. And those are great entry points into like, obviously post-op immediately acute, you are going to use those. I'm not going to do an overcoming isometric with that guy, but isometrics are awesome. They let you do a lot, especially in season. So we've covered a lot of ground, a lot of ground. We talked about your background. We've talked about how you got to where you are, how your parents motivate and inspire you, how you've gotten to where you are as a performance specialist, not a truck or a car, not a vehicle that's a hybrid. <laughs> we've gotten covered a lot of ground. And I would like to maybe close with any advice that you have in terms of looking for a workplace culture what things you're looking for to identify a place that'll be a good place for, for students and younger clinicians to take a job for. And then maybe any closing advice you have for any individual, whether they want to get into, you know, high level sport or just any advice that you wish you would have known or have heard earlier than you actually did. Right. So I would say that for the first one of young clinicians, my biggest thing would be find somewhere that is willing to invest in you. That doesn't mean con ed money, but find somewhere that genuinely cares about your development. So you need to ask those questions in the interview. And yes, one of them is con ed money, but ask the other questions that give some insight into whether 
who you're going to work for truly cares about your long-term development. I think that's the biggest one for me. Um, don't go for the glitz and the glamour. There might be jobs where a clinic that has nicer equipment, a clinic that has a bigger space, but don't go for that one. Go for the, go for the place that cares about your growth as a person and a clinician. So that's, that's what I got on that one. Um, for anyone. What questions who, would you ask? What specific questions would you ask yeah. to get to the root of that? Because I think that's hard for some, and I think some students might not be comfortable, but I, I tend to lean on the side of you'd rather ask the questions now and feel a little bit uncomfortable than get three months, four months, six months into a job and be like, I really didn't ask the, the right questions. And I really yeah. don't know where I'm going to go from here. Yeah, absolutely putting me on the spot with this one but just uh, I feel like I've been putting you on the spot a lot you're like never gonna do a <laughs> podcast with me again. no no just off the top of my head I mean one I would ask is I'm a young clinician and this is my first job what are the biggest struggles you've seen with young clinicians and how do you think we can work through those together how are you guys able to Ooh. guide me through this process of my first job and one. then one for the long term is I'm a young clinician but my goal is to be here with you guys for the long run. How do you see my development with the company over the next five to 10 years? What does that look like? If you do, in fact, intend on being with that company for that period of time, ask them what's going to be different in five years. Are there, and then the last thing is, are there opportunities um, for growth within the company? That's a big one. And yeah, you might be getting a little ahead of yourself as a new grad clinician but it doesn't hurt to ask and that shows that you have the intent of being there for the long run and then you can see if there is a plan is there room for growth within the company do they have a long-term plan for you as a, have they thought about it so i would ask those questions because it's better than not asking and blindly joining somewhere where maybe they they don't really care or they haven't thought it through and that makes them think about it and think okay well what do we want to do with these clinicians that we hire first time, first job out of school, how do we plan to help them grow? Because helping a new grad clinician grow is different than helping someone who has been practicing for 10 years. It's there, I think there has to be a different plan. So those are the questions I would personally ask. Any specific red flags with the answer to those questions or anything to look out for that might clue you in on to this might be a good, a good place or this might be a, not a great place? Okay, this is going to sound like such a silly answer, but I would say if somebody says, oh, we'll talk about it when we get there, that's oh, yeah, yeah, that's they have not thought about it, they don't have a plan, and they don't care if you get there. <laughs> 100%. I think, and then the other trope, I think, too, that has become commonplace is, oh, we're a family here, like, we're a family, like, we'll figure yeah, it out, yeah. we're a family, like, yeah. well, you know, the same way that, uh, you know, my student loans weren't just, you know, something that we're we'll figure it out later on like maybe yeah. some people they were yeah. I know mine definitely may have been a little bit like well I guess I'll get to that eventually but what I'm saying is if you have to say like we're family and you use a trope to not answer a question like I think yeah. that's that's a sign that maybe maybe this isn't the place for you I always encourage uh, young clinicians and, and, and students I always say like ask to shadow yes. for at least a day and a half yep wherever it is you can ask as many questions as you want, but ask to shadow at least a morning and a whole day. Or if they, let, if they let you three days out of the week, if they're Absolutely. serious about hiring you and they're serious about bringing you on board and they know that you're taking it seriously, like letting you shadow and observe, I, to my knowledge, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't bring any liability to anybody. 
and nope. spending time around the people that you might have to be spending time around to let you absorb what does an actual you know clinical day look like that's huge and so i always say definitely start there and asking those direct questions is i really i really like that idea i really like the idea of um asking the direct questions of how are you going to help me grow yeah. and also obviously bringing the goods right like you have to if you're going to ask these questions and you're going to be straightforward like oh, you yeah. yourself have to bring the goods this is you after have to know interview hopefully what's that this is hopefully after you've nailed exactly the exactly after you nail the interview after everything's set aside like you've already shadowed you know what's going like sort of i you have an idea that this might be a place like right. having those conversations and being able to provide once you get to that point, like I think is, is super huge. So I, I like that a lot. Any other specific or not specific, I'm sorry, more general advice that you have for younger clinicians. And we can, this, this time we'll do a little bit separately. Maybe somebody who doesn't quite know, do I want to get into the performance space? Yeah. Uh, I don't know anybody in the performance space. Do I need to do a residency? Do I not? You've already alluded to that a little bit. What are the right. chances of me getting, you know, some of those opportunities or, right. and somebody maybe that, just wants to accelerate their career and is already working maybe even in performance or like a, a higher level sport. What advice do you have to them to help them get to where they want to be? I would say number one thing I always come back to is networking. Networking, I think, will get you farther than any credential, any letters you have behind your name. It's always going to be networking. Anybody who works in sports knows that that's how you get in. Um, you know, I'm going to be blunt. I clearly, I've, I had no baseball experience. So wasn't my baseball experience that got me here. So I think that's a, that's a big thing is just talk to people because they're going to hire you because you're a good fit for their team, because that's the most important thing in the performance setting is the team. That is all that matters. Um, and it comes, yes, the team itself, the football team, the baseball team, whatever it might be, but then it comes down to the medical team, the performance team, every team that is a part of the greater team needs to be cohesive, needs to be a unit and the way you prove that you can fit in with that team is your personality and what you bring to the table as a person. So I would say networking is the number one thing and don't be afraid to call or email or reach out to anybody, no matter what position they're in, because the worst thing that they can do is say no or not answer. Um, and just be, I would say, be mindful, be respectful of what time of the year it is, you know, obviously don't reach out during NFL playoffs to the NFL strength coach. That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> I love that. I actually love that. Uh, would, say that again. Say that like, again and explain great. that. Say that again and explain that. What was that? I was saying, say that again and explain what you mean. Which part? Sorry. The, the You know, reaching out to the NFL strength coach, you know, in the <laughs> middle of play. Like, because I think there might be some people who might not like quite understand. Okay, that. fair, fair. So... My point being, have some feel of what time of the year it is, depending on the professional you're reaching out to. So if you're reaching out to someone in baseball, maybe look up their schedule and see what's going on, see what time of the year it is. For example, if you're reaching out to a baseball strength coach, spring training isn't the time. So same analogy as a football one. Don't reach out during the busiest time of the year. I would say don't even try not to reach out during a busy time of the year. Try to reach out when they might have more time on their hands or when you do reach out, if it's a busy time, preface with the fact that you completely understand that might not be a good time. And you can, I will often say in an email, I can reach out later this year if you want. And I've had a few people say, yeah, that would be great. Email me in September. Perfect. I'll do that. And I write it down somewhere. Don't forget it. Um, so yeah, I would say be mindful, be respectful of their time and 
you're asking somebody who's made it to the highest level to sit down and talk to you. So be as respectful as you can when you approach them. Be prepared when you talk to them. That's a big thing. I had um, a young strength coach call me the other day, and I was extremely impressed that he knew every job that I've held so far. Um, And I said that to him. I was like, man, I've talked to people on the phone that just sat on the phone and asked me, what are all the jobs I've had? Um, So that's a big one for me. And I try to do the same thing when I call someone. I've looked up, I've looked up, you know, their hometown. I've looked up all the jobs they've had. I've, I've looked up everything I can about them um, just to show that I'm prepared and I'm taking it seriously and I value their time. So that's the big advice I have there. That's going to go a lot farther than any credential or exam is going to take you. I love that. This has been fun. I think we've established a few different things. We've established that you're not, in fact, an, a Ford F-150 pickup hybrid. <laughs> you are extremely relentless in everything you do. You are able to reconcile the hustle and everything that it takes to be in you know, a high-level professional sport but still make time for human connections and professional connections with what I think is huge. Like, I think that's great. Uh, this has been one of the most fun interviews I've done. I've that's done a awesome. lot of them. Wow. I've done a lot of them, maybe not in the performance space, but this has definitely been one of my favorite ones. So I really appreciate you coming on. Do you have anything else? Well, I did want to ask you a question. Yeah. Do you have a favorite NFL team? Oh yeah. The Ravens ever since I was, ever since I was a kid and Lamar Jackson is my hero. <laughs> Lamar Jackson's my hero too, honestly. The dude is legit. The dude's a baller. Um, so yeah, I got to go with the Ravens. I've lived in Maryland my entire life. So Ravens all the way. Well, I was going to make a joke. I don't remember. If the, I, no, they didn't make the playoffs, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, don't, don't feel bad about reaching out to the Ravens strength coach because they didn't make the playoffs during, <laughs> yeah, during playoff season. I had to get that job in. All right. This is Van Dangery Prime Podcast. Um, she'll probably never come back on after that joke and jab. Uh, if you have any questions, make sure to reach out, find her on Twitter at Azita N E J, right? Did I get that right? You got it. Okay. Find me on Twitter at FB injury doc. If you're wondering where the hell to get a hold of us, that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, I get all of, I think, I think my DMS are, uh, if you follow me, I think you can, you can, uh, DM me, but you can always get a hold. I think I'm pretty sure my email is out there somewhere. I get spammed often. So you can find my email anywhere else we can find you, Doc. Yeah, um, you got Twitter. My Instagram is Azita Nej underscore DPT strength. And then other than that, just reach out, email, phone, whatever. I'll answer any phone call, text, email that someone sends my way. There you go. Don't pass up on the opportunity. Thank you once again. And we will talk soon.